0: Today's scripture is Ezekiel thirty-six, twenty-two through 38. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the, among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. And I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited, and the waste places shall be rebuilt. And the land that was desolate shall be tilled, instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who pass by. And they will say, This land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. Thus says the Lord, This also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them, to increase their people like a flock. Like a flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feasts, so shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord, the word of the Lord.
1: morning again. We are uh, continuing in our summer sermon series that I've entitled Old Testament Prophet Radio, Listening in Our Times, and we are doing a uh, a broad survey of um, several of the prophetical passages, the Old Testament, some uh, may or may not be familiar to you. Um, but uh, I, I, uh, I thought this would be a good series this summer as there's going to be what um, we've already had and we'll have some more uh, guest speakers, um, both to kind of give options, uh, but still I have a common theme uh, for the summer sermon series. So that's why we are looking at the prophets, and this morning we are looking at uh, this prophet, Ezekiel. And Ezekiel was, just by a quick introduction, was another prophet, Uh, to the southern kingdom, Judah. Uh, But his prophecy actually began after they were sent into exile in Babylon. Now, he would have been around in Jerusalem. Uh, If you remember last week, we talked about how the scrolls of the Torah were found in the temple under King Josiah's reign. Ezekiel would have been around for that, would have been part of seeing that come to fruition. But he was also there. Uh, as the people continued to stray and God eventually sent them into exile, they were overtaken by the first exiles leave Babylon. And Ezekiel would have been with that first group of Israelites leaving Jerusalem and heading into exile. That's a little bit about the background of who Ezekiel is and his time, timing uh, in his ministry to the people of God. So with that introduction, uh, will you pray with me one more time and ask God's presence with us? Heavenly Father, we do ask now that uh, as we come to your word, uh, however we come here this morning, that you would meet with us. You would meet with us where we are right now, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. Father, whether we come in, uh, um, we would consider ourselves having been followers of you, Jesus, for, for quite a long time. Others of us here, perhaps we are even... Uh, wondering whether these t- these things can actually be true, is it possible that there could be one person, Jesus of Nazareth, who says, "'I am the way, the truth and the life, that that actually could be true father and m- however uh, however we find ourselves in, in this particular stage of our life also. The truth of the matter is we, we, we do a really good job of putting ourselves together on the outside when we come together on a Sunday morning. The reality is likely that many of us here are dealing with some very difficult things right now. There are difficult decisions we are having to face that are on the horizon. There is anxiety. There are concerns. There is mourning taking place. Uh, we, are, we are perplexed. We are needy, we are afraid, we are anxious. Father, uh, however we find ourselves here this morning, I pray that you would meet us, that these words that were written thousands of years ago would be, would, you would give new life to them by your spirit. That we would know Where we are in this moment right now, you have met with us. That is our prayer this morning. So work through me, around me, in spite of me, but I pray that you would meet with us now and speak to us. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, over the uh, last couple of weeks, uh, we we have seen how the prophets that we have looked at are, as they're engaging, especially the southern kingdom of Judah, they're engaging Their waywardness, their unfaithfulness, and their disobedience. And each of these prophets that we have looked at have emphasized different responses to that reality. The reality of the conduct, the waywardness of God's people. We saw Zephaniah, in his response to their unfaithfulness, remind his people, God's people, that his tender kindness towards them was still true despite how they had rebelled. We saw Jeremiah exhort Judah, actually after they had been exiled, and because of their rebellion, while they were in Babylon, to still actually engage in that culture, in that city that was their enemy. In other words, in spite of the unfaithfulness of his people, through one prophet, God notes something true about them. Through another prophet, God expresses that he stills desire to do something through them. In this passage before us this morning, in light of their waywardness, we're going to see that God speaks through his prophet Ezekiel to speak of something he's going to do for them. God is going to do something for them (laughs) because God is clearly not okay (laughs) with this situation. The first couple of verses that, were, that Caitlin read, you, you, you heard it. You heard God declaring what his concerns were. He says, therefore, to the house of Israel, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, I'm about to act, with, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them then the nations will know that I am Yahweh. I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. God's people had rebelled and failed to follow his commands, yes. But God is not okay, not, not okay with it simply because they have broken some arbitrary rules that he put in place just to keep them busy. In this lifetime, it was more than that. It was more than that. It was about his name being seen as holy and honored and glorified among the nations. In other words, Israel's lack of faithfulness was not happening in a vacuum, it was not simply between Israel and their God. So, how did this happen? How had Israel, how was disobedience profaning God's name in the eyes of the nations? Well, the whole point of why God commanded Israel to follow his commands in the first place was that they would live lives that were distinct and attractive to the rest of the nations. You see, Israel's pursuit of holiness, in other words, was inextricably linked to Israel's mission. To be a light to the nations. Let me say it more directly. Holiness is inextricably linked to God's cosmic mission for his people to be a light to the nations. God doesn't simply call us to follow him, pursue holiness in a vacuum. It's done in the eyes of of the nations it's done in the eyes as a church of our neighbors and if there's anything that i might leave behind my time here in madison and i was actually having a conversation with matt this past week as we've been talking through the sermon series and and, and what what we'll be doing uh for the next couple of months i told him one thing i would love to be able to leave is if i could convince Resprez. <laughs> That whatever area of conduct, whatever area of holiness, whatever God's word is speaking to, to follow Jesus in that respect. To always have an awareness that that is tied to your mission as a corporate community of believers and followers of Jesus. They are linked. And that's throughout the whole Bible. Jesus himself, if you'll recall, when he calls his disciples to follow him, he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Discipleship, the pursuit of holiness, is not separate from the mission of the church. It's inextricably linked. And so we 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 see this with Israel from the very beginning. When God calls them out of Egypt and he brings them to the area that we call Palestine now, At that time, and we saw this in the Genesis, we were looking at the Genesis series, Palestine, that area was the major crossroads of all the superpowers of the day. You had Egypt, Nigeria to the south. You had Assyria, Babylon. You had all the Mesopotamia uh, to the east. But through Palestine, caravans would come through. There was commerce that would happen. There would be interaction. There would be communication. Israel was right in the middle of it all. That's where the promised land was that God called his people to in the ancient Near Eastern world. And when he brings them there in Deuteronomy 4, he says this regarding his laws. Keep my laws. Do them. Why? Because that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all the peoples. So that when they hear of all these statutes, they will say, wow. Surely this is a great nation. It's wise and an understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to them as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules that are so righteous as all this law that I have set before you today? In Exodus 19, God speaks of making Israel his treasured possession. And that also had a missional purpose. Exodus 19. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant as my treasured people, you will be my treasured possession among all people. For all the earth is mine, but you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God doesn't treasure them because there's anything special specifically in them he comes to them out of his sheer grace delivers them out of slavery in Egypt brings them to their own land out of his kindness in order that through them his people the other nations would come to know Yahweh as the true king as the true God and honor his name that's what a kingdom of priests does a kingdom of priests mediates the goodness and justice and saving, redeeming work of God to the watching world. In other words, Israel was to live among, in sight of, around the nations and obey him and be different. And that's what holiness is all about. God sets his people apart for a purpose To follow him, to follow his instructions, but in a unique and distinct and attractive way of life. Now, when we talk about holiness, that word, if you've been around the church for a long time or if you have not been around the church, holiness might initially, when you hear the word, might conjure up images of some kind of detached from real everyday life type of calling. But the call to be holy according to God's word is not a call to be weird. It's a call to be different and distinct, yes, but not a call to be obnoxious. <laughs> True holiness is actually beautiful. To live one's life set apart in following our Creator as the one who knows best what it means to be truly human, that's holy, that's beautiful. In Leviticus 19, forgive me, this is a, I know this is a survey of Old Testament uh, uh, Bible, so forgive me, this is, a, I grant, this is kind of a Sunday school lesson right here off the bat. Leviticus 19, there is a beautiful picture. Leviticus uh, is a book of the Bible, the, one of the five uh, first books of the Bible, that is giving instructions to what it looks like for the priests, the ones that were the priests in this holy nation mediating God's holiness to his people. Primarily it's instructions for the priests, but there's one passage in chapter 19 of Leviticus where God tells his people, instructs his people, what holiness looks like in everyday life. Now, there are some things in, in 19 that are very have to do with rituals and ceremonial aspects of Israel's life, and they do seem a little foreign to us sitting here in the 21st century. But the vast majority of it, is still, which I, make, I would make the case, still resonates with us sitting here today as what it looks like to be truly, authentically, and beautifully, and gloriously human. He starts in verse 2, speak to all the congregation, tell them they should be holy, for I am the Lord your God, and I am holy. And then for 37 verses, Moses lists things that have to do with everyday life. He says holiness is about being using true and honest weights in commerce and exchange of goods, something that would have been very important in a trading society, culture. God says holiness is honoring the elderly and caring for them, not simply ignoring them and dismissing them as being out of touch and no longer contributors to society. To be holy is not to squeeze out every last penny of your earnings and maximize your bottom line for you and your corporation (laughs) by not harvesting all the way to the edges of the road, but leaving the edges of your fields unharvested so that the poor, the sojourner, the foreigner, as they're coming through on the roads would be able to glean from the side, would be able to harvest, would be able to eat. Of course, avoid stealing, (laughs) avoiding lying, Avoid deceit. Even the command to love your neighbor as you love yourself, God says, is an act of holiness, according to Leviticus 19. And to be holy is also to treat the sojourner, the foreigner, the alien in your land with dignity and respect and to show generous kindness to them. Every aspect of an Israelite's life was to be set apart different, holy, beautiful to experience, to be witnessed by the other nations. This week I'll be traveling back to New York. As many of you know, I've been running a a non-profit ministry to children of immigrant families during the summer months, and um, this summer it's going to be a much more truncated uh, version of what we normally would do in the summer. My being here has been uh, it's, it, I, I think I overestimated how much I could still be able to plan while I was uh, away from New York. Uh, nevertheless, uh, I'm going back. Um, there's a, a few years ago, we had a, uh, these, these is, there's a story like this every year, but a few years ago, this one stood out in my mind, thinking about what it is to when holiness is a beautiful and attractive. We had a Muslim family show up um, uh, to the camp on the first day, and the mom um, brings her little girl and, and signs her up, registers her, and and she pulls me aside. She knows I'm a Christian pastor, and she just said, hey, uh, would it be possible for my daughter not to sit in during the Christian, you know, education part? Um, we do a lot of fun things, recreation, arts and crafts, singing, dancing. Um, we do have some Bible stories in there, and I said, sure, of course. I mean, we we." We'll find something for her to do during those times. We, we're just glad that she, you know, she wants to be a part of our, uh, our, our, our group this week. The next day she comes back, brings her little girl, and then brings her teenage daughter. She had heard uh, that first day that we also do uh, leadership development training. We have, we call them counselors and trainings. These are training. These are teenagers, farmer campers that we begin to uh, uh, invest into and build up leadership skills. And she asked if her teenage daughter could enter the CIT, the counselor and training program. Sure, come on in. The third day she comes and she brings her teenager daughter back and she says, um, it's okay if my daughter sits in on the on the Christian education part of your ministry. Okay. Thursday, the teenage daughter comes to me and says, Could I have a Bible? And I, I mean, on the inside, I'm like, absolutely. And I, and I looked at her and I said, I said, OK, I said, uh, one of the one of the one of the key commands that God gives us as followers of Jesus is to honor our father and mother. And so I'd like to honor your father and mother by asking you to honor your father and mother by going home and asking your dad if it's OK for you to bring a Bible into your home. And she said, OK. She goes home. She comes back the next day. Got this big smile on her face. She says, my dad said I can have a Bible. (laughs) We give her a Bible. And she takes it home. Come to find out, they end up reading it at the dinner table. We didn't do anything special. I promise you, we did nothing special. (laughs) Except genuinely be human and loving and kind to this family. And there was a missional end that, that we weren't even planning on. I was very genuine when she first came, and she said, would it be okay if my daughter does sit in the, in the Christian part? Of course, that was genuine. We were just wanting to be human, and God had missional purposes behind it. And so this is God's mission, to overcome the destructive consequences of hum- that, hum- that humanity has caused to go wrong in Genesis 3. And he intends to do it, not simply by waving a wand and making everything good overnight, right then in a moment. But he actually uses the broken vessels, the very image bearers that he created in the first place to be responsible for spreading his glory and his wonder throughout the whole earth. But that didn't happen with Israel. It didn't happen. And so God's name now, instead of being something precious in the sight of all the other nations who would want to cry out and call upon the name of the Lord and receive his kindness as Israel had, rather God says, my name has been profaned, and I'm going to do something about it. <laughs> and these are the stakes that were at play. So here they are, they're in exile, they profane God's name. And then here again, verses 24 to 29, and listen and hear God emphasize that he's the one that's going to act. He's going to do this. Verse 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. This is God rewriting the script. This is God promising, I will once again gather you out of exile back in your homeland. And then I will wash you. I will cleanse you. And then I will do what is ultimately necessary for holy, faithful obedience. Because let's be honest. (laughs) Let's be honest. Even if we are able to look at God's picture of holiness in everyday life, how beautiful and attractive it is. Let's be honest with ourselves. It is not easy. (laughs) Our hearts are broken. Our hearts are tainted. And it's not easy. And God says, I know. (laughs) I know. And I will do something about it. I will give you a new heart. I will actually put my spirit Within you. Again and again we hear God. I will. I will. I will. 14 times actually in 14 verses. God is saying I will do this. Culminating. In the creation of a completely new heart. And putting his spirit in his people. God's people at this time were very much well aware. That there were times when God's spirit would come upon Maybe an individual, maybe a group of individuals like the elders under with Moses. But God's people were aware when a king was anointed, there would be a, a, a God's Holy Spirit coming upon him. Prophets, same thing. This promise was for every human. This is for every Israelite, and it must have absolutely shocked them to hear this news. I thought the Holy Spirit, I thought God's power, powering spirit, that power was only for the king, the prophet. And God says, no, every one of you I care for deeply enough that I'm going to put my spirit within you, within you. And although Israel doesn't see this fully come to fruition, this side of the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, those of us who are in Christ Jesus being part of the new creation, that is what we have received. We have received the fulfillment, complete fulfillment of this promise so that when you wake up, And you read God's word and you think, God, how in the heck am I going to do this today? (laughs) You have God's spirit. You have his power within you. It is he who is working within us to do and work that which is pleasing to him. But the promise is first here in the Old Testament. And that demonstrates that the very foundation and roots of God's grace are actually here in the Old Testament. Grace wasn't a new second plan for God in the for the New Testament. It's always been the foundation and basis for all that he's done for his people. He first redeemed and from bondage and slavery his people out of Egypt. He was with them every step of the way, bringing them into the new land. And even now in exile, he's promising to bring them back and to give them what is necessary to walk in paths of righteousness and in holiness, and it's all grace from start to finish. Paul certainly must have had all this in mind when he wrote in Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, were by nature children of wrath, but God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love which he had, For us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ for by grace you have been saved raised up with him seated us with him in the heavenly places with christ jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in christ jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith it's not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Neither Moses, nor the prophets, nor Paul here have an issue of the relationship between grace and holiness. And this is what sets Christianity apart. From religion. Religion says, do this, be holy, <laughs> obey, and then God will love you. Christianity says, I love you. First and foremost, period. I love you. And because that's true, pursue holiness and follow me. At the end of the day, Jesus bids us to follow him. And it's very much true that we must act, we must obey. We are, that is our action. But, but, <laughs> it is also true without being a contradiction, but rather in a wonderful, mysterious, glorious way. It's really been God's doing all along from start to finish. It's all of grace. It's all from him. All of it. So that none of us here, depending on how, I don't know, how long you've been walking with Jesus, but I would make the case, I would almost guarantee that if you've been following Jesus for any period of time, and you look back five years, ten years ago, and you see where you were and you see where you've come from and see where you are now, your reaction, your response to that observation is not to pat yourself on the back, but rather to say, but God. Wow God. It's all his grace from start to finish. Finished with this about 30 years ago there was a seminary professor who was in a severe car accident was completely paralyzed. <clears throat> and over the over the next years as they he and his wife got used to this new debilitating way of doing ordinary life together. She confided with a a friend, and then the story got out. (laughs) What it was like to go on a date. She was, what it was like to go on a date with her husband, who was now a quadriplegic. And it went like this: (laughs) a date night goes like this. I take my husband. I wheel him into the bathroom that's now custom made. I take off his clothes. He's in the wheelchair. I help him get into the bathtub, I clean him, I rinse him, I shave him, I brush his teeth, bring him back into the bed, I put his clothes on, get him all ready, get him back in the wheelchair, then I go and get myself ready, and I wheel him out to the car, pull him into the van, push him in, put him back into the van, I come around, get in the car, I drive, go to the restaurant, the restaurant, I, I order for him, I feed him, I clean him, clean his mouth when the food gets stuck on his, on his, on his cheek. <laughs> and reverse the whole thing, go home, get his pajamas on, tuck him in bed. And, I, and this next part, if I didn't know who this woman, this would sound very outlandish, but this woman has a very genuine heart. And this part is amazing. This is what she confided. That I don't think she ever intended this to get out. She said, then I look at my husband, and I say, honey, Thanks for taking me out tonight. I had a great time on a date with you tonight. (laughs) Good night. I love you. In our right senses, when you and I see Jesus face to face, and he says to us, well done, good and faithful servant, in our right mind, at that point, we're going to look at him. (laughs) We're going to be like, are you kidding? You did the whole thing. (laughs) You did it all. From start to finish. I see it's been your grace. And she's going to say, I still had a good time. I'm glad you're mine. Welcome home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... We thank you for your word. We thank you for the call to holiness, to follow you, to abide by the instructions that you've given us, to follow you, Jesus, to places that are not always comfortable and easy for us as fallen creatures. But we most give you praise that even as you call us to follow you, to be that light to the nations in how we conduct our lives, how we go about our relationships and our work and even our recreation and and family time at the end of the day we thank you you do not leave it to us to figure out on our own but you are the one who empowers us with your very spirit you have given us a new heart as your people may we lean into that reality may we lean into that grace more and more so that we might know more and more, as we've already sung, Oh, to grace how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Now let that grace, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But here's my heart. Take and seal it, and seal it for thy courts above. You promise to do that. Remind us again today, we pray. For Christ's sake, amen.